morning, Petaluma. This is KPCA Petaluma FM 103.3 on your radio dial. I am Jim Stern sitting in for Rabbi Ted. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted, who is on vacation. Uh, Rabbi Ted is the Rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center, and he's had this radio show for a while. I've been, I'm a member of B'nai Israel. I've been on the board forever, past president and current executive vice president, but I've been engineering for, radio, for uh, Rabbi Ted for a while. So he asked me if I would do this show because it would be the second show of a repeat if I didn't. So I said I would. <laughs> anyway, uh, I decided that I wanted to bring to the community, you've probably heard some of these people before, the movers and shakers, the movers and shakers that, that help build community, that help make Petaluma the growing and, and, and wonderful community it is. So my first guests are from the board of directors of the Phoenix Theater, we have Jim Aegis and Tom Gaffey, and um, I'll start with Tom. Tom, you're the general manager. I am. Yeah. Well, I knew that. Yes. That's because I have some notes. Okay. So uh, you were right there on the paper. You know, right here in front of me. So you uh, you weren't born in Petaluma, right? No. But you moved here. Yeah. My family was living between Petaluma and, and uh, Saratoga at the time, and uh, the uh, it was decided I, I would rather it be safer for me to be born in Redwood City because the other option was Petaluma General at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you were here in those days, you'd know. Well, it was, was a creaky old hospital. It certainly was. Yeah, so you uh, you came to Petaluma, and when did you first get involved with, with the Phoenix Theater? Ooh, the first time I got involved with the Phoenix Theater was quite like a lot of kids in Petaluma did, watching movies. Um, gee, I saw... <laughs> I apparently saw Old Yeller there. Oh, okay. and, uh, he's pretty young to, to remember that. And, and uh, well, you know, that's where we saw our movies when I was a kid. It was, it was, that was the movie theater. It really was that and, and the state theater. But most mm-hmm. of the stuff we saw was at the uh, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And they hired me to sell candy and popcorn and stuff there when I was in about uh, eighth grade. All right. Yeah. So it kind of morphed from there. Yes. And that was what, like 68? 68. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so it morphed again, what, in 79? Yeah, you know, I graduated in 73 and, and uh, went out and lived life for about 10 years. And I ended up coming back to Petaluma after being gone for several years. And I had uh, had another theater uh, of my own. And uh, when I came to town, there was a situation that I want to uh, help run the Phoenix for just a year mm-hmm. while they sold it. And, uh, yeah, that would work. I, I could do that until I figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm still working on it. And I was just going to say, <laughs> someday that'll happen, right? Yeah, it will. It was, it was a long one-year project. Yeah, well, we're hopeful that it'll happen. <laughs> so, so it morphed again, what, in 1983? No, uh, so 83 is when I got back, and uh, uh, we were doing movies. Mm-hmm. But it was it was uh, quite apparent that by a, at that time they were starting to build a multiplex across town. Pacific Cinemas were, and a big old single screen theater was not going to have much of a future as a movie house. What were we going to do? Uh, and uh, a friend of mine asked if we would uh, rent her the theater for a night to have the uh, Violent Femmes, uh, a rock band, and uh, we took that deal. Mm-hmm. And it's been rock and roll ever since, really. Yeah, I guess. What year was that? That was in '86. Okay, so '86 it kind of changed into a into a live performance. Yeah, live performance. You know, it had been live performance to some degree. John Spillane bought the theater in 1979 from the Takini family. Right, when Dan Takini. Yeah, when Dan Takini and his family owned it, and they uh, and John started doing live at that time, 
Uh-huh. Uh, it, it didn't work out for him. He sold it to Ken Frankel. Ken Frankel wanted to turn it back into a premier movie house. That was 83, right? And that was in, no. So Ken Frankel, let's see, uh, about 81, I think, Ken okay. Frankel came in. And then at that point, they weren't sure how to keep it going. Right. Uh, they needed somebody to take it for a year while it was uh, up for sale. And the problem was that at that time, California decided that if you have a brick building and you sell it, the building will be condemned unless you do the earthquake work. Oh, I remember those years. Yeah, and that was pretty much the day I stepped into the theater, uh, the law, it became law. And nobody expected uh, the governor, it was a Duke major, I think, to sign that bill, right. but he did sign it. Mm-hmm. And there I was, grandfathered into the Phoenix probably the first day I showed back up. <laughs> so as long as I ran it as a movie theater, you didn't have to have the earthquake work done until... The year 2000. Yeah. Which is coming past. We've done the earthquake work. There you go. Yeah. You're going to be, we'll be talking a little bit more. You're going to be doing more work than you're already doing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, and, and I just, I would just step in. That 2000 year came, and then that was existential crisis. I mean, yeah. the, the, the building had sold, and Tom was going away. Yeah. Was Phoenix was done. There we are. And you, you came in a little bit later than that, right? I came in a little bit later. Um, I think by around 2003, 2004, that whole mess had gotten cleaned up. Uh, A group of guys who had started a tech company called Serent, they made a bunch of money from that. I remember Serent. They saved the day. Tom had sold the building. It was going to become, what was it, an office building? It was going to become an office building. Uh, A developer from Sebastopol, I think, was going to tear down three of the walls, leave one wall up, and uh, turn it into a high-rise office building in Petaluma. That was when Cisco bought Sarah for when $2 billion or whatever. Yeah, seven Made like billion. 200 and something millionaires overnight. <laughs> oh, my heavens. I knew a couple of those people. They were yeah. suddenly millionaires, and it was just, wow. And they, Yeah, and, and it was uh, Paul Elliott was one of those, and, and, uh, and he tells me it was his wife that said, you go down and, and uh, save that theater. And wow, that was great. Yeah, Paul put together a great yeah, group of people. Great. And, because here we are. Important to note that it's not just a theater. It's never just been a theater. And right. I think that's why you're having us on. Exactly. It's because it's a community center. And though it, is, it has, as long as Tom's been doing it, always been a nonprofit corporation. When those folks came in and saved the building um, after the earthquake legislation time passed, um, they established a formal nonprofit called yeah. the Petaluma Phoenix Center, which is a 501c3 nonprofit right. organization. And so it is a music venue now. We do over 100 shows a year. But it's also open during the day. And people use it for a variety of reasons. And that 501c3 means you can deduct your donations every yes. week. Which is always, donations are always welcome. At the Phoenix. At the yes. Phoenix. So when I, first, when I first met you, of course, that was before all this happened. Yes. And, all. and I've seen it grow through all those years. I've watched you. Uh, you guys mentor all these kids. And for me, what I saw, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, born and raised, so was my dad. We had facilities, you know, we had places you could go and things you could do and swimming in the park. And and in my day, all of the park things were free. You could go to the museum, you could go to the, to the planetarium. Everything but the planetarium was free. And you, as a kid, you know, you could go anywhere and just, it was a, a plethora of, of life that you could experience as a kid. In a small town that doesn't exist as much, and one of the things I saw, you know, in this town, when I first noticed you guys doing this uh, early on, when you first started making a, a, a community center thing out of it, was the fact that these kids were getting in trouble, not big trouble. They were just no. bored. They had yeah. nowhere to go, nothing to do. They were, you know, especially during the summer, and they're bouncing around the streets trying to figure out. And you took them in, and, and, and you know every one of them. I, I remember, I have in my offices across the street, and I remember there was some trouble. We had some... 
early on, and and you said, "What do they look like? Who are they? I know everyone, and you knew every kid." And but the fact was that you gave these people a place to come off the street and be without being judged. Yeah, you got a skateboard in your hand. So what? Put it down and skate. Yeah. You know, whereas every, all the adults they were looking at were saying, "Oh, I got a skateboard away." And don't, you know, so you guys were enabling these kids to be themselves and yet fit into community without being buttheads. You know, that's that's part. That's partly what the Phoenix does, purely by accident. It creates a sense of community. And uh, one of the things that I'm always hoping to impart on a kid that comes through the Phoenix is is to remember Petaluma as a community, and, and uh, through learning community down at the Phoenix, you can maybe get that last little bit of Petaluma that I remember as a kid. Because mm-hmm. really, growing up in this town, it was it was a community, community uh, event to grow up in this town. Uh, everybody's parents knew everybody's kids, and uh, there was uh, a time where I, at the age of uh, five or six years old, I found myself downtown, and uh, the Mr. Sonich actually pulled his truck up on Petaluma Boulevard, yanked me onto the collar, and made me stand in front of the lights at Petaluma and D Street as he taught me to tell when to cross the street appropriately. And this was, at the time, a stranger. He became a good uh, good family friend after that. And his wife knew you how? Well, his wife was Mrs. Stonich at Petaluma High School. We were going to figure that one out. Oh, yeah. Well, she was, uh, she was probably one of the greatest teachers to come through uh, Petaluma High School, yet at the same time, she was one of the most feared teachers. She was very strict, and uh, she insisted that you learn. Very few of her uh, people actually flunked her class because she wouldn't accept it in those days. And she taught history and government and, and uh, uh, those related fields. And, and so, Stonich's, but this is the way it was when I was a kid in this town. Everybody raced everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we were talking about the fact, Jim and I, before the show, we were sitting there talking about the fact that that as Petaluma is growing now, and this is the west side of Petaluma, this is yes. the old city center, if you will. This is the, the the place where you can find direct community. Where if you go to the east side, you got to go to maybe there's a strip mall, and but there's no real center there. It's it's located here, and that things are changing, and that people coming in are not from here or or uh, aware of this community, and that's diluting. These people that so you walk down the street, you may not know everybody like you. You don't, yeah. That's, that's are you finding that with the kids too? Um, well, on my corner, you know, we get to know the kids. They end up if they end up in the theater, that's it's kind of it becomes a chore to find out who everybody is. Yeah, we have a lot of new kids coming coming in and, and out of the Phoenix nowadays. Um, I never know because every generation is a new group of faces. It feels like uh-huh. we just ended the school year and we had a whole flux of kids come in new faces uh, uh, for the summer, and uh, 7th and 8th graders, and boy, catching all the names is getting tougher, I notice. I'm working on it. There's still a few that i got to get. And it's important to know, too, so there's like the open door policy, quote-unquote. So it's open. It starts, you know what, in early afternoon, and it's just a place people can hang out, do skateboards, you know, whatever they want. But there's also programs. Yeah, there's music lessons. There's there's kind of an informal art program on Thursdays. There's the teen health clinic. I was going to say you have a health clinic yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what, what I think yeah. is one of the, the greatest services is uh, not really stated. It's not written anywhere. But there's also a stage. 
And if anybody has any sort of thing they want to present, it doesn't even matter what it is. Yeah. It's there for you. That yes, is wonderful. Is. Yeah. yeah. There's a room to practice if you have a band. Uh, and there's even after after uh, hours practice sessions on the stage if you need that. That's wonderful. Well, I'm, you know, being in the music business, yeah. I've been doing making records for 60 years. Yeah. To get a chance to see some of these kids who came through and they were just just to barely hold a guitar wasn't as big as they were sometimes. Yes. And now they're out there. They're professionals yeah. out there. And they're doing, I mean, uh, the Comatose Brothers. Brothers Comatose. Brothers Comatose and, and, and some of the other groups that, that, yeah, that came out of here. Well, it's yes, funny you bring up Brothers Comatose. Uh, on every Tuesday night, Tom and I record what's called On Stage with Jim and Tom. It's an, actually, you're a prior guest. Yes, and, uh, a lot of time we have bands come on and they'll do a performance and then they will do an interview. And just actually two days ago we had Ben Morrison. All oh, right, Petaluma yeah. guy, yeah, and one of the brothers, and yeah. So you're absolutely right. He gets to tour the world, gets to tour the country because Wonderful. of the experience he's had playing music. And yeah, now, and now he's doing. He has a solo career now. Yes, he does, and that's what we were discussing on the podcast was his, his upcoming solo career. You know, and there's uh, and uh, joining him on stage were a couple of Sonoma County players uh, that also cut their teeth on the Phoenix stage, and, and uh, we have such a rich community of, of uh, musicians that have come through Sonoma County, and a lot of them have, have uh, spent a lot of time on our stage, and watching them come and go and you know, put themselves out there is, is a blessing and a curse. Let's face it, it's tough to be in the music industry. Oh, it is. You're following your bliss and uh, scraping your way through it a lot of the time, but uh, boy, the tenacity and, and, and the skill and the musicianship is just incredible with these guys and, if you can and girls. Stay, and if you can stay with it, if you, yeah. can, if you can hold on long enough. Yeah, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's really, it, it's a tough business. Most most musicians I've known in my life have had to have a day job of some sort or a night job. But, but other than music, some way to support themselves. Those of us, I'm so blessed and fortunate that I was able to make a living at, at music. And a, a decent one. I've done okay in, in music. And uh, it's such a rare rarity to find that. And, and you guys give the opportunity for these people to learn and grow from the from the young age and see some of the foibles that can happen in this industry. So you guys have a variety of music that, that you present, uh, you know, the different kinds of music. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's uh, uh, very tied into the kids, and sometimes it's below them in, in age, maybe. I remember what, Montana, Hannah Montana or something. Oh, uh, uh, Hillary Duff. Hillary yeah, Duff. You Hillary had Hillary Duff there yes, one yes. year, many years ago. Yes. And the line was down the block all the way to yes. Petaluma Market, and these yes. kids were, were just, and they were in line. They were, they were fine. Yes. There was no buttheads. No. You know? But every now and then, you had a show where people would come from out of town. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And that was difficult, as I remember. Oh, I, I would disagree difficult. I mean, I, I would say that, uh, you know, you have shows that are just hyped, you know, and people are excited. Mm -hmm. And... You know that are there going to be people from out of town? Sure, but there'll be people from in town too. I mean, there are there are just like when you look at it, there are some shows that are just a, a breeze and really easy for us and really mm -hmm. easy for the city, and then you have other shows that are kind of party shows, which you know take a little bit of work to get through. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that in my opinion, a lot of the uh, criticism of those shows has been overblown. I think um, you know some a lot of people would say, oh, you're talking about hip hop shows. Not necessarily, no. uh, but I mean, but it's true though. I mean, a lot of when people criticize the Phoenix, a lot of the time they point to some of our hip hop shows as being trouble or whatever. But it's just it's a matter of just like how excited and how young is the crowd, and um, that's just part and parcel of the Phoenix. Like you say, growing up, 
uh, or rather uh, you living across, working across the street, there would be shows where uh, they'd be kind of rough. But that's the Phoenix. I mean, in the 90s, it was punk shows. The punk shows yeah, were the that things was, that everybody that was, was like, oh, one. God, they, it's a punk show tonight. <laughs> they, are they going to break our windows? Are they going <laughs> exactly. to tear up the gardens? And again, overblown. W- were there sometimes incidents where stuff happened? Absolutely. Right. But that's the nature of it being everybody's building. So that's you, the nature of it being a place where people go and um, stuff happens. And stuff happens. Now, I I remember that because they, they tagged my building pretty pretty yeah. heavily. We had, but it's, it seems like that has been abrogated. I don't see that happening. Not as much. I haven't it, seen that happen in a long time. You know, and the thing is that people would like to to say that this was uh, mostly out of town kids. And uh, as much as I love our Petaluma kids, uh, no, it was mostly in town kids. Really? Oh man, oh, okay. back in the nineties. We had such a we had quite a few kids living on the streets in downtown Petaluma. The parking garage itself was housing three kids in particular wow. uh, yeah. who lived from the ages of 14 to about 19 years old in that parking garage mm. uh, and around the area. Uh, and that's what's changed quite a bit. The, the amount of homeless teens is, is not as obvious as it was. And I think the numbers, quite frankly, are less than the 90s. But in the 90s, uh, the Taggers. Oh, yeah. Man, I used to have to run down every tagger because the Phoenix was getting blamed for them. Yeah. But in fact, and they were all a Petaluma kids, and some of them, who I can't name, have become really successful artists. And their murals are up all over town nowadays. Yeah, but you gave them the back. Yeah. You gave them behind the Phoenix. There's a little, tiny little parking lot thing. And those kids have been painting that back there forever. And it gives them a, you know, they're getting yeah. a chance to, to put some art onto a public wall. I think that's, yeah. that's that was our that was our attempt to uh, to cut it down. And it seems as though although that generation grew up, uh, tagging uh, the Petaluma tagging crews have really shrunk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the object was we were going to try and suck their paint onto our fence and, and uh, off the street. We had some amount of success with that, but quite a bit of why it's changed quite a bit is because that generation in the '90s and the early 2000s has grown up. Yeah. The IDC crew, the UM crew, uh, the cops crew, all those guys have grown up and moved on. And the cops crew were the children of some pretty pro- prominent Petalumans. Look at Tom dropping all these names. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, well, no, it's great. Yeah. And, and I would just want to point out one guy in particular, uh, Ricky Waters. I was just going to ask about, gonna drop about Ricky Waters. Yes. Because, you know, well, how can you not? His, his mural is the biggest in Petaluma yes, well, on the yeah. back. You see it from the Petaluma Market parking lot. <laughs> you know, it's a great mural. And uh, when I was involved in a group that I helped put together called the Village Network of Petaluma, and we ended up with uh, uh, the old McPhail's building there. It's now yes. gone. They're going to build apartments. Oh, spectacular but stuff. But that was Ricky's place, and, and the, the, the doors were painted much like yep. the And we just loved it. Somebody yes. wanted to came in and said, oh, we should paint those over. We said, don't you touch don't those touch doors. <laughs> you know, that's Ricky Waters. They were, they were, they were heritage doors at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, and Ricky has gone on to have quite a career as an artist. He's amazing, yeah, yes. He really is. He's very well known yeah. now. Incredible. I mean, Jaylene, there's some other great artists out there that have become, yeah, uh, that are making a living doing that. Exactly. Who got to use the Phoenix walls as the canvas when they were just learning. There you go. Yeah. And a lot of these people, musicians, Ricky, uh, artists, a lot of them cite the Phoenix as an integral part of what led them to become a professional artist. What a blessing for a town to have something like this. It depends on who you are. Well, you know, I mean, I think... 50%? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's some people who never engage. Yeah. You know, and you can only do what you can do. But yeah. the fact that you guys have, have put forward a place, non-judgment, if the door's open, come on in, be yourself, you know, don't be a butthead, but be yes, yourself, be and, and we'll find a way to, 
to help you out. So you, as many of the buildings in town, got hit with the sprinkler wars, yes. if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, you were able to do, I guess, a GoFundMe page and and some, got some help, and you this are doing it. Jim's expertise really saved the day on this one. This guy is Tell a, about a it, master fundraiser. Well, I mean, basically, a long time ago, City of Petaluma passed uh, some legislation that all the buildings would have to be sprinkler downtown, all the businesses. Mm-hmm. And it got kicked down the road, it got kicked down the road, it got kicked down the road, fire marshals changed, they never really enforced it, and now they're enforcing it. And if you're listening to this and you're a downtown Petaluma person, be looking because there are going to be buildings that are not going to be able to come up with the funding to do it. You're going to see buildings sell and all that. This is extremely expensive. And, you know, you see it. You, you see both sides of it. Yes. You understand fire safety is very important. But also, you know, this is a several hundred thousand dollar job to do an old building like ours. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, they, they did, uh, to Petaluma Fire Department's great credit, they did let us know in advance. They're like, you know, this is going to be a thing we're going to start kind of pushing on, so be aware of that. So it wasn't a huge surprise when it came, but still, it's a job that needs to get done. And so in November, we launched the fundraising campaign. And to date, I want to say, because it wasn't just sprinklers, we also were doing the roof when we got the word. So it's kind of like, right. oh, God, now we're already spending all this money on this. <laughs> and I wanted that roof for 10 years. Well, I mean, you got to know how dedicated this man is. Whenever it would rain, if you, while you're in bed sleeping at home, he was up in the attic doing an array of tarps and tubs. Yeah. But in any event... Um, we have raised over three hundred thousand uh, wow. dollars from the community yeah. and you, uh, a variety of businesses and individuals, as well as the uh, kind of smaller donations through the GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. We are still accepting donations, and we're, we're getting close. Job's going to start in the next month. It's going to be about a three-month job. But you know, the the earthquake thing—that was an existential threat to Phoenix. The sprinkler thing could have been, if not for the community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the roof itself could have been. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we were pretty much on the end of our. Uh, I, there, there were only so many more years I could empty buckets up there. I think I hear you, and I, I was, I was kind of concerned because I know that you guys are a nonprofit, and that's a big, big expense. Yeah. And looking around at some of the, we've talked about this, you and I, Tom, and some others. There's a few people. There's some families that own some of these buildings yes. downtown that they just don't have that kind of money. No, and, and they're not yeah. nonprofits. And, and the solu- and and the question is, how do you find a solution? There are some old families that have owned property in downtown Petaluma for quite a while. Absolutely, and they're going to be under the gun, and that is that's something we as a community almost need to get behind and figure out how we're going to help get this done. That's right. It'll change the face of Petaluma if yeah, we don't absolutely. all get involved somehow. Yeah. So. What are your current challenges? I mean, you know, you've had a lot of challenges over the years that you've had to overcome. And uh, aside from the physical facilities that, that, you know, we've talked about, what do you see in the community as challenges currently? In the community or in, in, the your, community? in your community? In, in, in the young people, if you will, and, and, and getting the right acts in and all. Can you afford to bring in some of the acts you'd like to now, or you're, you're having trouble with that? I noticed that it slowed down a little bit. I think that has to do with the sprinkler problem. But you No, know, I mean, it depends on which way you want to go with this. If you want to talk about the problems that we see in the youth community and just doing, like Tom doing the work that he does with the community members, that's one conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issues with running a nonprofit that's also a concert venue, I mean, we could talk about that. The Phoenix has always been kind of an ebb and flow place when it comes to the major concerts. We do a lot of locals because, you know, that's really an important thing. People don't have places to play their music, especially kids. Yeah. Most of it, you know, when you get to be an adult, especially if you don't inhabit the art world, you don't really think a lot about bars and uh, venues being 21 and up. That's the most important thing in the world for young people who want to go see music. In the Phoenix, all the shows are all ages. I mean, there's yeah. special exceptions sometimes for uh, you know, fundraisers. 
But yeah, you know, we don't think too hard about, uh, you know, do we have enough nationals this month or whatever? Because, okay. you know, sometimes we have five, six big names coming a month, other times less. I, I think what's kind of more interesting is just what do you see as the dealing with the constituency that uses the Phoenix? Oh, boy, as far as the kids goes, oof. I, like I say, I just got to, a part of my issue is the fact that I'm getting older. I have to uh, stay on my game as far as relating to the, every new generation. And holy cow, we got inundated with seventh graders this year, and it, it took me back for a second. I bet you. Oh, I tired you out at the end of the day. Holy cow, it really did. That's the big thing is the energy, isn't it? Yeah, it is the energy. And, and uh, weirdly, one of our yesterday... Uh, one of our elder kids, he's a senior in high school, just about to be, and, and uh, he and his girlfriend were sitting in the lobby, and, and he said, you know, Tom, what, what, was, what was your favorite moment at, at the Phoenix? Oh, gosh. How could I give you one? There were so many. But, uh, and then all of a sudden, the crew, some of the newer kids came in, and they were all of a sudden sitting around us, too, and there we were all talking. And I realized, oh, wow, these kids are finally kind of mellowing into the scene. I've got the older kids working with the younger kids again. Everybody's talking and, and visiting. And right then and there, oh, this is that moment. There These you go. are those moments that I love so much. Uh, it, we've got, uh, we've had a new crew move in, and it really had me perplexed for a minute, but all of a sudden it's just kind of rolling back into the way it was. And you realize, even though these are a lot of kids from a lot of new families, uh, there's something about a Petaluma kid, and these kids are going to be full-on Petaluma kids. And I must say, uh, Petalumans, as a rule, when I was a kid growing up in this town, we relish the fact that we all use the word jerks because <laughs> the other one is not appropriate. But you know what? Petalumas are kind of jerks when you get right on it. And we were proud about it when I was a kid. Rugged, <laughs> rugged individualism. Yeah, rugged right. individualism. It's uh, and uh, yep, our crew is uh, holy cow. <laughs> we're all just a bunch of jerks together down at the Phoenix trying to figure it out. And that's to the earlier point about you know out of town and shows. You yeah, know, it, that's the nature of an open building. You know, yeah. sometimes it's going to be a little messy. But well, that's, that's okay. Well, we got about a minute or so left, and let's see, uh, what do you think, what, what's the future? Where are we going now? What's next? I'm going to open the doors tomorrow. There you go. I, uh, <laughs> I find that if I plan too far ahead, that's, that's a dangerous idea for me. Okay. So I'm going, uh, I just kind of go day to day. Uh, I count on, on geniuses like Jim to keep the future part together. He has faith that the Phoenix yeah. will continue on, that it always finds a way. Yeah. His only job, as he's put it to me a thousand times, is to show up in the morning and open the doors. Open the there door. you go. Yeah. That was what happened in the bathrooms. There you go. That's when I became president of the synagogue. One of the elders <laughs> took me aside and said, your jobs keep the doors open, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was it, you know. That's the deal. Yeah, well, you know, it's really been a pleasure to have you guys on the show. It's, it, I think uh, Petaluma should know more about the Phoenix, and if you don't know, please, please come on down, get involved, yeah. uh, check it out. It's a wonderful place to, to hang out. You can see w what kids are like, you know, and <laughs> it, it, it's not pristine like, no. like the adults like to have. You it's know, not. You're not going to wipe the, the chair off. And no, but the porcelain in the bathroom should be clean. There you go. Yeah, you well, it doesn't look clean, but it is clean. But it is clean. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. You've been listening to KPCA uh, Petaluma, to the Rabbi Ted Show, with uh, Jim Agis and Tom Gaffey from the Phoenix Theater. I'm Jim Stern and we'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you.
Welcome back to Rabbi Ted's radio show, talking with Rabbi Ted. This is Jim Stern. I'm sitting in for Rabbi Ted, who's on vacation this week. Our first guests were Tom and Jim from the Phoenix. And our next guest is a creator of community on a little uh, little later in life. <laughs> I'm not going to say older folks, but <laughs> more adult-oriented. Uh, uh, please welcome John Crowley. And it is Crowley, is it not? It is Crowley or Crowley, depending on what part of the country or whether I'm on the telephone or whether I'm speaking a foreign language or whatever. What do you prefer, Crowley or Crowley? I say, I say Crowley, but um, yeah. okay. Crowley is also, you know, became Americanized. Yeah, I get uh, it. So I call you Crowley and people correct me all the time. <laughs> I say, okay, I'll, I'll go for that. I grew up with Crowley in Dublin, but uh, originally the family is from uh, down south in Cork, and Cork. they say Crowley oh. down there. Yeah. And so. Well, you know how it is. Either way. Those people. It's like yeah. Aquas or Aquas or whatever. Yeah. How do you say it? Well, it all depends. It's all meaning the same thing. That's so. right. Sometimes you can't understand them anyway. Exactly. So uh, when did you come to the United States? I came a number of times, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a student, I came, uh, worked on J-1 visas. So typically in Ireland, as a student, you uh, leave Ireland, you go and you earn money during the three months of, su- of summer vacation mm-hmm. in order to fund your college. And I spent a couple of summers, went to Germany, went to, spent one summer in Ireland, came to the United States, worked as a waiter, oh. strangely enough, in New York, and oh. a house painter and various things like that, and uh, over in New York and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. So I got a taste of what America was back when I was about 18, 19, and loved it. And um, then when I was about 30, I came back. So that would have been 19... 1993, 94, that kind of era, and came over and was visiting my brother, actually. My brother had moved to Petaluma a couple years prior, came to visit him. We were living in Germany at the time. I had, uh, we were kind of thinking of leaving Germany. We had a great time in Germany. Mm -hmm. I lived there for about eight years. And I was thinking of, well, what country do I go and live in next? I married a French woman, and we were thinking of moving to France or back to Ireland, and came to visit my brother, and somebody offered me a job, and I said, oh, why not? Let's just do it. And <laughs> there you oh, are. 25 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Never did make it home. Never, but uh, I found a home here in Petaluma, which uh, was was exactly what I wanted, and I've lived it ever since, and there's no reason to leave. So you never left breadcrumbs to find your way back. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. So... so when I first met you and first knew about you, you were you were building community uh, already at that point. Uh, and as I remember, when I first, I mean, we had met yeah. and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they, what's now Aquas was Petaluma Coffee and Tea Company, and yep. they're good friends. I, we play music out of Brad Gardner and Sheila's house every yeah. Monday night. But yeah. I used to stop there. I was running corporations in Marin, and I'd stop there and get something to you know, breakfast something and head down to Marin and then it morphed uh, and they sold it. It morphed a couple of times. Couple of times and yeah. then you and, and Mike and Leslie took it over. Yep. And yep. Uh, they run the, the restaurant part and you run the community part. Exactly. But uh, before that, I remember it was Moose that I first <laughs> really got involved uh, yes. with you and, and, and building community. Yeah. And a bunch of guys said, come on, you got to go see this guy's building. And you built that thing up pretty big. We were, uh, for two years in a row, the fastest growing Moose Lodge in the United States. Yeah. And it was, I think it was at a time where there was a, a, a need and a desire to get together and, and, and actively build community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always heard of, of places that, you know, people move off to wherever XYZ place and they say, oh yeah, I didn't, didn't uh, find any community there. And I said, well, did you build any? Um, no. Well, you've got to build it. You've got to make sure that it's there and active in order to uh, 
to enjoy it. And, and if you don't do that, well, then, uh, unfortunately for you, you're going to live in a place without community. Yeah. Um, so I remember when, I mean, actually before the moose, it was a pub crawl, the right? Pub, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it was, I guess we were, I think our kids were like three or four, and we were kind of missing that um, connection with other adults. I mean, life had, um, I guess, gotten down to, Honey, I'm, you know, Saturday night was, honey, I'm going to the video store. What will we get? You know, right. back then on the video store. Yeah, video <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of missed that um, adult kind of scene where you'd have interesting conversations and get to know new people. And um, again, it kind of stems from the where I grew up, which is my grandfather's pub in oh, Ireland. And what I saw there was a, a communal living space. And uh, so, you, you know, you walk into any any pub in Ireland in the small community, and that was the center of the community. Right. I mean, you, you had a couple of centers. You had the, you know, the, the, the church, and you had the pub, and as I say, luckily I grew up in the, in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was, um, and, and in any community you walk into, or go to, you move to in Ireland, well, how do you get to know the community members there? Well, you go down the local pub, and you'll meet everybody from, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the teachers, and the plumbers, and the mayor, and the bankers, and the uh, carpenters and and pretty much everybody um, happily getting on, more or less, I guess. Yeah. Um, but at least you know they're, they're sharing this, this 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 space and getting to know each other. And it's not all about booze, it's about food and, yeah, and family exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, certainly things are changing, and certainly what we've created since in Aquas Cafe, I didn't want it to be as centered on alcohol as some Irish pubs can be. Right. Uh, so we have excellent food. We, you know, we open in the morning, and it was um, this is concept of a third space. And the third space is you know your first space is your home, your second is your work, and your third space is anywhere where you create community, where you 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 get to know other human beings, and you you build that social capital. Uh, you're essentially creating relationships and building trust with other people. And, you know, a library, a pub, whatever, uh, this space, you know, this this is a great place. Yes. We're, we're KPCA is is another third space yes. where people get to know each other and create um, create something, you know, more than the individual. Absolutely. And so what what were the first challenges? I mean, how, how you take over this, this sort of a cafe-like uh, coffee house and suddenly you want to build community. Where did you start? How did you how did you get it going? Because some people might want to know how to do that themselves. How do you start a community like that? What did you do first? Well, you make it welcoming, okay. welcoming for for everybody. Uh, I had um, I mean it wasn't as though I created a, the the Petaluma Coffee and Tea Company. We're in that space that Aquas Cafe is in now, and, right. and yeah. Sheila and Gardner. They I believe opened it in nineteen. 19- 85. It was in the late middle 80s, yeah. And that's where I went. So my, my software business where I, where I worked. You were upstairs, weren't you? I was uh, in various different buildings, but okay. that was the coffee shop that I went to for mm-hmm. 15 years before I took it over as Aquas Cafe. Sure. So it wasn't as though, um, so there was already community there, and I kind of felt as though I was coming into a community of people um, who were already there. Um, and... Um, so I just did, tweaked it, and we now we opened later. It used to close, it, I think, when Sheila and, and Gardner had it closed at five. It closed at five, yeah. Um, and so with the ability of bringing, and we brought beer and wine in and yeah. uh, made some changes to the menu. 
and really and opened I think seven days a week. I'm not sure whether they were seven days a week, but um, it, it was already there. What we right. did is we just I guess expanded on it and made that the focus of our attention. So we have events there, we have music events there, but we've also got a lot of events there that really are designed to get people in conversation um, with 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 each other and. Uh, thereby, uh, so we, you know, we have meeting groups. We have um, we have lecture series. We have, last month we had a, a lecture, two months we had a lecture on ranked choice voting. Right. Uh, we've got a lecture coming up next month on uh, the Petaluma Wetlands uh, Alliance. They're coming in to tell us about the Petaluma Wetlands. Um, so it's more like a community center that serves good food. Uh, than anything else. I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, it's a restaurant. Yes, it's a cafe. Absolutely, all those things. But for me, it's a community center, right. and it's, uh, like I say, designed to 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 get people in conversation, get people to get to know each other. Um, and you you've expanded. I noticed because I get I get your 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 little uh, the Aquas uh, News. Yeah. And I've noticed that some of the events aren't at Aquas. Well, some of the events yeah. are are under the Aquas. Uh, a purview, but it isn't Aquas specifically. It's over at this place or it's at that place or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, which has expanded the, the the scope of the community. I thought that was a great, great thing. Well, it's interesting. People um, remember there was a there was a restaurant that opened the other side of town, and um, this is about five six years ago. And we had on Aquas Cafe's table. Oh, didn't you know there's a new restaurant opening? Because I don't. People are kind of scratching their heads and kind of wondering why are you, you know, why are you uh, advertising somebody else? And I say it's 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 kind of you think of the all boats rising together. Yes. It's it's um, you know maybe you want to go to maybe you, you live in the east side of town and you want to find some more community. Um, whatever works, whatever is a an event or whatever it is that, that gets people together, we will promote. That's great. Uh, it's, it's very much like what we were just talking about with Tom and Jim, the fact that it's a welcoming, open community to everybody, and there's no judgment. Yeah. You know, you've got something. I'm sure if somebody has something they want to do, they bring it to you, and you can... In fact, how talked about Venezuela. Ah, exactly, yeah. Well, it was interesting. I uh, We've got a monthly event at the cafe. It's called the Petaluma Newcomers Social, and it's designed, again, to welcome people into Petaluma, um, I think there was the, uh, some people might remember the the welcome wagon yes. that, that people had a long time ago. Yes. Uh, that I'm not sure what happened to those that idea, but anyway, we re- revived it as a um, Petaluma social uh, newcomers, and where we'll people will come down that are new to Petaluma, and quite a few people who are old timers as well, uh, just to meet new people sure. and to welcome people into town. It's um, I remember. Moving, I've moved a few times in my life, and I wish there was something like that to in the communities that I had moved into. Yeah. People saying, "Well, here's you know, welcome to the community, and what are your questions? What are you interested? in? Are you interested in art?" And so we'll have a conversation about, "Well, if you're interested in art, well, join the Petaluma um, the Art Association, or go to the Petaluma Arts Center and be, become part of them, or if you're interested in music, tell people about. And if you have kids, well, there's the Phoenix Theater. Um, it's a very useful. Uh, arena to have and to sh- disseminate information and, and mm-hmm. um, have a conversation about what people, what is it that you're looking for in Petaluma? Mm-hmm. And at one of these, there was a, a lady from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And um, Venezuela's had a pretty rough time recently. Yeah, I've been there. 
And um, I kind of thought, well, and I said to her, does she know any other people? And she said, no. And I said, well, why don't we just create an event? Because we've got a we've got a huge outreach um, at Aquas News. Yes. Probably one of the biggest emails in, in Petaluma. But um, I thought, well, why not find other Venezuelans out there and get them all together? So we did that and it happened two weeks ago. And then suddenly we had 10 people who had never met each other. Wow. All from Venezuela just sitting around going, yeah, hey, wow, we're from Venezuela. Well, you know, and it created community. That's great. And um, those those people, you know, more or less uh, have, have found a community that they, they – um, other people that they, you know, certainly – um, and so, so all those kind of things, whatever it is, we will we will create. So, you know, if there's other other people out there who uh, want to uh, create a community based on an interest, come and talk to me. Yes. Well, I noticed when 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 I first was going to when it was Petaloom Coffee and Tea Company, <coughs> pardon me, Foundry Wharf was pretty empty. There wasn't really a lot going on. There weren't a lot of businesses there yet. You could always find a parking place in front of Aquas. Yeah. I never had a trouble. Never once had trouble finding a parking place there. No. Now that that Foundry Wharf has yeah. packed up and businesses all around there have yeah. really burgeoned, and now you've got uh, now you can't park. <laughs> no, that's one of the problems. <laughs> you know. So how has that impacted you? Well, it's uh, it's kind of in a way we've we've created that um, in a way. I remember. When we first opened, Walt Hacker, really, really a visionary mm-hmm. um, developer, bought that place in the early 80s. And it was, uh, from from what I remember hearing about, it was a kind of tumble down it was factory. R- it was. Whatever, industrial area. Yes. That it, it was pretty scary at night. I mean, you wouldn't want to go down there yeah. after dark. Uh, yeah. A lot of nasty stuff went on down there. Yeah. Um, and then, well, because nothing was open. So That's we were right. the first business to open after 5 p.m., um, and when, when people come and you see lively things happening and you build community out of it, well, all that other nasty stuff kind of tends to disappear and go away. Mm-hmm. So um, Walt uh, understood the vision that we were trying to create this, this community space and uh, really, really, uh, as a visionary, really visionary gentleman who's passed away since... But uh, he saw the vision that, that uh, and kind of together we created this. Uh, he was he was wanting and, and successfully, <laughs> very successfully did it. Uh, created um, Foundry Wharf Business Park, right? And there's uh, an amazing amount of very very different businesses there. Oh, oh it really it's is all over the map. It is. It's surprising to see what happens there. And um, so um, that you know, if you bring energy to to a location, well, then other people will come. And we had uh, Luma Restaurant open up about maybe about eight, ten years ago. Yes, that's done well. Eh? Uh, absolutely, it's yeah. changed hands. It has changed hands now. Yeah, yeah. Pearl mm-hmm. Restaurant now, and Pearl. there's a couple of other things around now too. The Charlie's Liquor Store, and, uh, and then there's on the other on the other side of the uh, boulevard there. There's a couple little places yeah. that, that have opened. You know that's really it, it's really heartening to see that the growth and and the the fact that that it is viable and, and happening. Yeah. So are you finding constraints? Are you finding some things like like space? It's it's a small place. I played there. I played music there a bunch of times with different people. And and uh, when it's a, a well known group, or even sometimes it's just people don't know this, whoever the individuals are, it's packed. It is. And it you know, is. they're out the door and everything. That's great. It's really nice to have a packed small yeah. place rather yeah. than a, a few people in a large place. But does, has that impacted you in terms of trying to expand? 
Well, I mean, it does limit us to a certain degree on the kinds and the sizes of bands that we have. Um, so, for example, tomorrow night we've got uh, the hops. We're going to be pretty crowded, okay. which is going to be it's going to be great. Yeah. But uh, we don't have any parking problems towards the evening because of the businesses there that uh, they'll generally kind of close down by five or six p.m. And there's parking there behind. Exactly, too. there's plenty of parking there in the evening time. It's just during the day that it can get a little little tricky. Yeah. Um, expanding, um, you know, it's kind of it, it's it's great the size it is. Given that it has constraints, um, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, you don't seem trying to get bigger. Not in that location. I mean, uh, yeah. physically, I can't anyway. Well, that, yeah, was, the, that was the, yeah, the whole problem with yeah. it is physically. It's a, yeah. Unless you took over the space next door and went through all that. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah. But that would be difficult. Exactly, yeah. It would be difficult. Well, that's so. good then to know that it'll kind of stay the way it is. And what, what I noticed then in your expansion is by finding other venues to do other things. Yes. So um, there's two things. So we have Aquas Cafe. That's a regular business. Um, but uh, parallel to that, and we've had for quite a while, is uh, a non-profit organization. Oh, tell Aquas, me about that. Aquas Community is mm. a 501c3. Okay. And the mission behind that is to create social capital. And oh. how do we do that? Well, you know, I was going to kind of explain communities. Uh, take a community with very low social capital. People don't know each other, they don't trust each other, they're not involved in um, government or they're not involved in their PTAs, they're not civically engaged. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, a community, high social capital. Well, everybody's involved in everything, people know each other, they trust each other, uh, there's, 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 you know, and, and the, together with those things, you've got low crime, you've got high, um, you know, people want to live there, people want to bring their businesses there. Right. Uh, well, how do you get from one end to the other end? I mean, Petaluma was never in a, in a place that had low social capital. It was always great social capital in Petaluma. People knew each other. People trusted each other. Right. But you can always build more. You can always build more trust. You can always weave a fabric that is um, based on, on, on people knowing each other in interconnected networks of people. How, how, how diverse uh, are these networks that, that connect with each other? And a lot of that is based on well, I mean, how do you how do you um, create that? Well, in order to get to that place of high social capital, people have to trust each other. They have to have relationships. Well, how do you get there? Well, first of all, people have to got to have a conversation. Well, how do you get there? Well, they've got to meet each other first. So this kind of we work in that area where it's it's meeting people, it's having conversations, uh, and then you know whether people trust each other or not. Then that's that's an individual kind of thing. Of course. Um, but you have to you have to be very involved. In fact, that's what our community is involved in. Is exactly that is 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 facilitating people getting to know each other, and getting to have conversations with each other. We started um, something if, about six months ago uh, with Luz Weirat. If you know him, I know Luz Weirat. Yeah. Um, in fact, he's he has uh, subbed in here when I couldn't make it. <laughs> engineer for Rabbi Dad. <laughs> Great. Um, um, called Petaluma Conversations. And Tell me about that. It is transformative. I mean, we don't, we're living in a society from, from probably maybe locally, especially nationally, mm-hmm. where I think people are more apt to throw rocks at each other mm-hmm. verbally yeah, um, right. and, 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 and energetically than wanting to sit down and have a conversation and understand, well, how is it that you feel this way? And what is it about this, this, this thing that uh, makes us adversaries. 
And it could be, we actually started it when we talked about the uh, the art project um, on, on Water Street called oh, Fine... The bathtubs? Uh, yeah, the Fine Balance uh, bathtubs. A lot of, a lot of acrimony around that. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of friends that I saw uh, online being vicious to other friends of mine yeah. online, and then them in turn being vicious back to those people. So it was kind of like, <laughs> guys, come it's on. It's a vicious circle. It is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. So we um, we started this this uh, we do it every month, but that was the first month we actually uh, actively went out and um, invited those people who were at odds with each other to come to the cafe and sit down and have a conversation about that. Then that particular case is about that art piece, uh, just so that people would understand what it is that the other person was intending. Why 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 did they have this? Um, outlook on it. Why did they? Why were they so? Um, uh, I guess uh, vicious or, or or mean about it. Hmm. And then, in some cases, these people had never met each other before. So this is the first time they actually sit down face to face, having a conversation about it. And of course, the conversation is very different yeah. when you're sitting down having a conversation face to face, looking That's at each right. other's eyes, That's right. than online. So it's our effort to. Uh, I guess quell the the nastiness that happens online, yeah. and try and get people to the table to have a conversation about whatever it is. So you know, every month we have a we've taken a, um, a break over the summer, so there won't be one in August, but we'll be starting in September. And I hope the conversations get uh, more difficult because we really have to have difficult conversations. We have to talk about racism. We have to talk about sexism. We have to talk about all the things that that are flashpoints yeah. uh, in, in society. We have to uh, at least understand each other. Well, at least if you're talking, and this is the thing I appreciate about what you're doing, is the fact that, you know, it's anonymous when you're, when you're texting or when you're sitting behind a computer and you're, you're complaining about whatever it is. Uh, there's no direct uh, energy coming back at you. But when you're sitting face-to-face, like you say, it's a little difficult when you're looking at somebody to come up with this vitriol that, that you can do when you're sitting in a room by yourself and, and you have your opinions. But the thing I like about this is, is dialogue. You know, the, when one side digs a, a, a line in the sand and says, okay, cross that line, and now you've got this contentiousness and, and, and people start finding ways to, to, to attack each other and throw darts and back and forth and all that stuff. By the fact that you are bringing people together and saying, "Look, you know, calm down, have a cup of coffee, let's <laughs> let's chill out a little, chill out a little, let's talk about this." And, yeah. and before you get all angry about that, listen to the other side, and, and you find these things happening. That, to me, yeah. is how you solve these problems. I'm really happy that you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 proven to be very popular. Um, and it's it's making a difference. Of it course, really is. That's it's, great. Uh, that's so, so great. That's the kind of thing that Aquas Community Foundation does. I'd say it's, it is. Uh, you know, we'll do other things like, you know, fun things. We had Pedaluma Kite Day. Oh uh, yeah. You know, get people, get a bunch of people out there flying kites again. Why? Well, because it gets people together. Exactly. And they'll sit around and have conversations about. And they find out they live other. next door to one another. That, exactly. And they didn't know it. That's exactly you it. Know. That's what happens. It does happen. Um, so tell me, you know, this is all. Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, I, I must say that I think people should come and, 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 and find you and say hello to you. The same thing with Tom and Tim. You should find these people. Go to these places. Go to, to Aquas and go to the, the Phoenix and say thank you to these people and, and donate. <laughs> because, you know, it's true. You know, these yeah. things don't, don't happen in a vacuum. We need 
we need some help from the community. So what's next? What, what's next for you in, in all of this? Well, um, I recently, uh, and, and uh, rather fortuitously, come across this wonderful... Um, well, I'll back up a little bit. Okay. About uh, three, or three years ago, I set myself a goal of learning to juggle. Really? You know, and my advice, uh, li- listeners, is learn to juggle when you're 15, not in your <laughs> 50s, okay? So, <laughs> however, um, it, was, it, was, it was hard. It really was hard. Uh, it took me about three months to do. Uh, I used to practice over the bed, and, you know, because I don't want to pick up the balls every single time, you know. Um, and my wife, Diane, came on the other side, and we started tossing the balls back and forth just out of fun. And we realized out of that, when we got in sync, there was a certain energy flow happening. Right. And we explored this a little bit, and out of that has come a workshop that we've had at Petaluma High School and uh, actually about 10 other schools mm-hmm. in, in around uh, Petaluma and, and uh, Novato that we uh, engineered in order to um, break down communication barriers between people. And so what that means is it's a somatic way of entering into a dialogue of understanding and interdependence that um, creates a relationship that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So, and then fast forward out of that, we've created a corporate team building workshop that addresses communication issues somatically and non-verbally. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to come be part of the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, no, it's actually interesting. When you get, it's, it's, you're a musician. Yes. And you know when you're in sync with somebody. Oh, boy, do you. And it's a feeling, and I wish I was a musician, um, because when you get into that zone, mm-hmm. you know you're there, and something mm-hmm. magical happens. It's, and you become one. You do. You do. You, you become one. So that's a kind of a communication that is nonverbal. Right. It's, it's musical. Uh, similarly, if you if you're singing and you harmonize with somebody, you you get into that zone, and our workshop um, is exactly that. It gets people into this zone, and in some cases, it's 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 wild to see people kind of they think they're learning to juggle, but they're not. They're actually <laughs> they're actually getting in sync with this other this other person, and it can be. Uh, transformative. In fact, it is. It, it, it's transformative. You see people go, wow, what's happening here? Because they didn't expect that to happen. So, similar to, to a musician, um, this is what happens. That's just wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear something like that happening because it is, it, it, it's, a, it's a special place that musicians, uh, you, uh, the sports people, yeah. they, they talk about the zone. You know, when you know you pass the ball, you know when Steph Curry's halfway across the the, yeah. the the court and he throws the ball up there and he knows it's going to go. He turns yes. around and walks away. He yeah. knows he's in that zone. Yes. And yeah. so this is really great. Well, I'm really I appreciate you coming on the show, John. Is it over already? Oh golly, yeah, oh. we got to move on. <laughs> Somebody else comes in after us. But you know, it's been a real pleasure having you here. It's it's a great place, Aquas. It's a great community. I recommend that that people check it out. If you're not on the on the list, get on the list because it'll inform you very very much. Thank you so much. You're listening to, to uh, Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA California 103.1 and uh, kpca.fm online. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jeff.